again. Uh, we have, I have, uh, good news, a milestone, as it were. Uh, I was looking at Mandeville Bible Church's YouTube site, uh, and we had 98 subscribers. Uh, so I subscribed, put us to 99. I called up my son, and I said, be the 100. And so we are, we are now at 100 subscribers on our YouTube channel. All right, glad for that. Um, it's interesting if you, if you uh, start looking at some of the um, uh, statistics on it uh, at, uh, at my previous church, where groups of people uh, watch your things from, from all over the world. Uh, and, uh, and we had a decent amount in this place in India, and we're, we're like all over the world, but there was one that was a lot in India, and we were you know, kind of wondering why, uh, and with a little bit of research, uh, the name of the church that I came from was Bible Center. The name of the church in India, in town, was Bible Center. So by accident, people found us, but they kept, they kept watching. And, uh, and so uh, who knows um, who has already been blessed by the YouTube ministry of this church that you've had now for, for quite a few years. Uh, and, uh, and who knows where, right? Who knows where? Um, a lot of this stuff is, is in the, ending up in um, predominantly Muslim areas of the world. And... Uh, um, what a great way to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? So we're, we're glad for that. Uh, last week, we saw three commands in response to knowing our salvation. The three commands were to set your hope on the grace of God that will be revealed at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We saw be holy in our conduct because God is holy. And we saw the command Conduct yourself with fear toward God in the time of your exile. And we are in the time of our exile as believers in a world that is against Christ. Uh, so these are the commands of God to believers who conflict with their culture. And believers should be conflicting with their culture. We should always kind of feel like we're walking upstream. Uh, and that can be frustrating at times. Uh, but instead, we have to recognize that that's a blessing. Um, so let's look at those just a little bit closer as a review. To set your hope. Uh, it is important, it is interesting that our hope is to be fully on God's grace that will be fully finalized in the future. Our hope isn't centered on God's delivery in the present. Uh, ultimately, God will deliver us from the power of the world. He can deliver us now from persecution, uh, he is the same God who saved Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah from death in the fiery furnace. Those three men recognized that God didn't have to save them, but was capable of saving them. In fact, their message in, recorded for us in Daniel is, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. There was the recognition, God can save us, but even if he doesn't, we will not serve false gods. There was that recognition, God can save us now, but he will save us in the future. That's guaranteed. I also found it interesting that the way we set our hope is intellectually. The believer's mind was the key to setting their hope. God's word says, prepare your mind. 
preparing your mind, and then to be sober-minded. We set our hope with our mind. Uh, we are to be in control of our mind. And it makes sense because God's word says we are to love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, and mind. And having set our hope and preparing our mind and being sober-minded, that is loving the Lord with our mind. We were told to be holy. It may seem ridiculous to concern yourself with your conduct when society applauds what is wrong and the upright the, the unrighteous person, they prosper. It might seem ridiculous to, at this point, I'm undergoing persecution. Really, this is, this, I need to concern myself with holiness. The world doesn't seem to care. Uh, the, the righteous suffer while the unrighteous prosper. Why, why, and I'm, I'm in a lot of pain and discomfort. Really concern myself with holiness at this point? When you are concerned about your physical well-being, it is tempting to neglect your spiritual well-being. But God's command is clear, be holy. When Jesus was crucified, he did not sin. It was his holiness and persecution that made it possible for your faith to be counted as righteousness. The last one that we looked at last week was conduct yourself with fear toward God. Those that are against Christ, and therefore against you, can seem scary. They seem capable of so much pain and misery but their wickedness is restrained by God. They can't do more than what God allows. They cannot change your eternity. They cannot pluck you from God's protective hand. They are limited by a greater being. Love God, but fear God. He is capable of so much more than those who are against him. When we get to the end of the book, I don't want to ruin it for you, but Revelation says, that he destroys his enemies with a word, with a word. Fear him more. Let's ask God for help in understanding his word as we continue looking at it this morning. Heavenly Father, it's easy when culture is against us and we're, we're feeling the pressure of, of, uh, of being against the world because they are against you, uh, Father, it is tempting to take the easy way. Uh, help us to keep an eternal perspective and that we will fear you, love you, but fear you, uh, and, uh, and just live in the truth of our salvation. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Coming back to the idea of holiness, I ask the question, what does holiness look like? How is holiness achieved? If I am going to be holy as God is holy, what am I going to do? Some might think that holiness is boring because you just sit there trying not to sin. And that's their idea of holiness. Well, here's the truth for me. The times that I have nothing to do, I probably sin more. So sitting and doing nothing really isn't a very good idea. Free time, too much free time is not a good thing. So how is holiness expressed? That's what we're going to look at this morning. How is holiness expressed? So we set our hope, be holy. I already did that already. I'm moving right along. You're, you're, if there was a Saints game today, you'd be able to, to watch the pregame. All right. 1 Peter 1, 22 says, 
having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. How is holiness expressed? By loving one another. By loving one another. It's not expressed by sitting there trying not to sin. It is expressed in loving one another. Let's systematically work through this verse to help us understand the concept that Peter is sharing with the church. The first thing that he writes is having purified your souls. Having purified your souls. Purified means to wash off, to wash away. Symbolically, it means to cause a state of moral purity. What is moral purity? In a word, it is holiness, right? It's holiness. The Jewish believers would have a very familiar, would have been very familiar with the concept of washing for purification. Ceremonial purification is called a mikvah. I'm hoping I pronounced that right, but I'm not, I'm not Hebrew, so uh, I, I came as close as I could. And this is a picture on the screen of, of what they would do with a mikvah. Uh, you would, in order to be ceremonially purified, uh, you would go and you would completely immerse yourself in water uh, to, be, to be purified. Uh, if they, different circumstances that they would do it uh, is, uh, is if they traveled in a Gentile area, they're unclean. And, uh, and so, you know, Gentile dust might have gotten on them. So how do you handle that? You, you go and you, you place yourself in, uh, in this pool of water and you immerse yourself. There were other times that they were instructed in Scripture to, to do this ceremonial purification. Uh, in Leviticus 11.32, uh, it says, And anything on which any of them falls when they are dead shall be unclean. If something touches something that is dead, it is unclean. Uh, it says, Whether it is an article of wood or a garment or a skin or a sack, any article that is used for any purpose, it must be put into water, and it shall be unclean until the evening, and then it shall be clean. Uh, that's that purification process. Uh, and so it says, having purified your souls, now you're not going to dunk your soul in water. Uh, this, is, this is using the symbolism of, of the mikvah, of, of that symbolic purification, how is it done? It's not done in water. It is done how? Well, the verse continues on by obedience to the truth. It's not dunking in water, but it's done by obedience to the truth. Uh, and there are three impossibilities that I want to point out concerning purity, moral purity or, or holiness, uh, that, uh, that's important for us uh, to remember. Uh, but in Psalm 119.9, it says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. First Peter says that the process for spiritual purification isn't through cleansing with water, but by obedience to the truth. And purity is impossible without obedience to God's word. We can never be holy when we are outside of obedience to God's word. That's of utmost importance. In 1 Corinthians 6.11, it says, some of you were once like that. Talking about the way, that we, the way the world is, the way that the unsaved world is. It says, but you were cleansed. You were made holy. And you were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Purity or holiness is impossible without salvation. 
without salvation. We're always surprised when somebody who's unsaved acts like an unsaved person, aren't we? Did they have any choice? No. You cannot be holy apart from salvation. And a lot of times the church has tried to work on people's holiness without presenting the good news of Jesus Christ concerning salvation. Uh, but we cannot be holy unless we are saved. The last impossibility for holiness is in James 4.8. It says, come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Purity is impossible when we have split loyalties. Holiness is impossible with split loyalties. God's word says, no one can obey two masters, for they will one to love one and despise the other. We cannot be holy if we have split loyalties. And the purpose of this is for a sincere brotherly love. A sincere brotherly love. The purpose of having a cleansed soul by obedience to God's word, particularly having faith in Christ alone for salvation, is, that, is for the individuals in the church to love other believers. To love other believers. As happy as I am that we have a hundred subscribers uh, on our YouTube channel, the problem with sitting at home and watching a sermon is what opportunity do you have to love your fellow believer? Holiness is expressed in brotherly love by loving one another. By loving one another. Uh, the end of verse 22 contains the lone command in this section, which is love one another. Holiness is not sitting alone on top of a mountain, placing yourself above everyone else. Holiness is sitting with imperfect people and caring about them. Love, is, love isn't an emotion. Love is a verb. True brotherly love is sincere. Is sincere. Uh, Romans 12.9 says, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. A sincere brotherly love is not just professed. Professed love can happen without really loving. It's easy to say, I love you. It's harder to do. Here are some songs that I have never heard at a wedding reception, but would love to hear them. Harry Connick Jr. has a song, I'll Love You Forever, for now. You'll never hear that at a wedding. Never will. At some weddings, I've wondered if it was true, but you'll never hear that at a wedding. Another one that, uh, that I, I don't think you'll ever hear at a wedding is the song, If You Can't Be With The One You Love, Love The One You're With. Right? Never hear that at a wedding. And the song that I would really like to hear at a wedding is a song that's it's unfamiliar, it's obscure, but it's called, Is It Love or Is It The Flu? <laughs> Wet hands, dry mouth, sick stomach. I might be in love, or it could be the flu. You never hear those. Uh, our society is so messed up on love, isn't it? Uh, and it's no wonder <clears throat> why we're so confused about it uh, when we listen to this is how old I am. I was going to say, listen to songs on the radio. Young people don't listen to songs on the radio. They got other means of doing it. Uh, 
when we, when we see all we, movies and TV shows so confused on what love is. Loving is not easy. Uh, pretending to love is easy. But actually loving imperfect people is difficult because people have baggage. People have strange ideas. People sin. And when I start using those excuses for not sincerely loving my fellow believers, I need to remind myself an important truth about people. I'm people. I have my own baggage. I have my own strange ideas. And I have my own propensity to sin. In a world that is against Christ and against our faith in Christ, here is something I've realized. I need my fellow believers to love me despite my shortcomings. Despite my shortcomings. It's not a very romantic idea, but it sure is a great idea. A lot of times we think that somebody loves us because we have earned it in some way, right? They can't help but love me because I'm so lovable. I need people to love me despite my shortcomings. We all do. We all need that. We don't need polite platitudes. We need genuine affection from our brothers and sisters in Christ. In a world that despises Christ, we have been given help to deal with the pressure and trials that inevitably come because of our faith. We have God, the Father, Son, and Spirit. We have our salvation, and we have each other. True brotherly love is also earnest. It's earnest. The world earnestly comes from the concept of, the, the word earnestly comes from the concept of stretching out. Stretching out, to uncoil. Uh, that's what it means, that's where the word earnest has that same idea of a, of a piece of cloth that is stretched out. And our love is to be stretched out towards one another. Uh, loving a fellow believer will stretch you out. It'll stretch you out. Some synonyms for earnestly are, are unceasing. We're to love our brother without ceasing. We're to love them intense, with intensity. And we're to love them with perseverance. I have learned something after 23 years of marriage. Loving ain't easy. Just ask my wife. The honeymoon ends, and then you have to live with the person. We all have moments when it's not easy to love. But true brotherly love is earnest. It moves forward. It doesn't give up. Perhaps someone comes to mind when I say some people are hard to love. Please, no pointing. All right, no pointing this morning. You may be asking, why should I sincerely, sincerely and earnestly love my fellow believers, especially the ones that get on my nerves? 1 Peter 1.23 says, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. Early in the letter, Peter used the phrase born again in, in chapter 1, verse 3, when, it wrote, when he wrote, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. We see it there as well. To a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We have a spiritual rebirth. Our physical birth occurs on our birthday. Imagine that. Our rebirth occurs the moment we have trusted Christ as our Savior. Peter writes that we have been born again through the living, not dead, the abiding word of God. The power of the word keeps going even more, even more reliably 
than the energizing bunny. Right? We have that spiritual worth and the power of the word keeps going. It says in Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Our salvation comes from a living and active word of God that can perform actions that nothing else in this world can do. The living God can divide soul from the spirit. It discerns the quiet thoughts and intentions of the heart. Our salvation comes from a powerful, unique, living word whose glory does not perish or shrink. Peter quotes from the prophet Isaiah when proving this in verses 24 and 25. He wrote, For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of our Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. In the 60s, they had a thing called flower power, right? Both Isaiah and Peter point out the deficiency of flowers. Their beauty goes away. Once you cut them, they die even quicker. They die even quicker, which is why my wife always preferred ice cream over flowers. Perennials are named that because they are supposed to come back year after year, right? That's a perennial. You go to the garden store and you can buy a perennial and it will come back year after year. Not at my house. Everything is an annual. The word of our Lord remains forever and its fruit remains as well, which is our salvation. Because our salvation comes from the living and abiding word of God, Our holiness, expressed through brotherly love, needs to be living and long-lasting, too. What gets in the way of that? I call it the filthy five. All right? The filthy five. 1 Peter 2.1 says, So put away all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Holiness is expressed in brotherly love. These five behaviors have no place in the life of a church. These filthy five are the opposite of loving and therefore are the opposite of holy. The filthy five are wicked actions that must be eradicated from the life of a church and its members. The first one was malice. Malice. It's a word we don't often use. What is malice? Well, malice is wicked ill will hateful feelings towards someone, hostility. That has no place within the church for one another, to have hateful feeling towards someone, to have that hostility when, when, you, when you see someone walk in and that you just, oh, I was hoping they'd get in a car wreck on the way over here. Or, maybe that's extreme, right? But, uh, but it's that feeling of ill will, of, of hateful feelings, of, of this, that, that hostility. And by the way, we never hide it, not, not fully. Uh, we, I find that if you're not aggressive, you, t- you typically are passive aggressive, which uh, is some, sometimes worse than aggressive. Uh, but it's that hateful feeling, no, no place for it. Deceit, that's being deliberately dishonest. Being deliberately dishonest. No place for that. That's the opposite of love and therefore the opposite of holiness. 
hypocrisy, pretended piety, or pretended love. No place for it to have that pretended piety or pretended love. Envy. Envy is resentful discontent. Somebody has something that, uh, that I wished I had, and instead of being happy for them, uh, instead I wished they didn't have it and that I did. It's different than just, oh, that's a, that's a, that so-and-so got a new car. You know, I've been wanting a new car, and, and you know, I've been saving up for it. Maybe now's the time. That's not what this is talking about. This is saying, why does he have a Corvette? I need a Corvette. He shouldn't have it. It should be mine. That is envy. And then slander. Slander. Backbiting lies. Backbiting lies. I had a professor who told me a story. He grew up in a, in a Bible teaching church and his parents were, were faithful, faithful members and attenders and participants. Uh, and, uh, and he grew up that way and, and he knew you don't swear. Swearing is bad. Right? Swearing is bad. And, uh, and one day coming home from school he told me that one of the other kids said, how come you don't swear? And he said, I don't, I don't want to. He said that the guy knocked him down and put his knees on his arms and said, I'm not going to let you up until you swear. He's going to make him swear. And he, he said, I, I didn't swear. And, and he kept, you know, there's kids crowding around and it's getting loud. And the guy's saying, swear, swear. And somebody said, I, I think he swore. I think he swore. And the kid said, did you? And he said, yes. Here's the, here's the point of that. He said, I don't know why I thought lying was better than swearing, but that's what I did. I never swore, but I just lied that I did. Uh, Sometimes we concentrate, and I'm not saying, you know, parents encourage your kids to swear, but what I am saying is sometimes we concentrate on the thing that's not expressly prohibited in Scripture. I mean, here, what's the bigger deal? Lying in a church. Lying to one another, deliberately being dishonest, that will destroy a church. It is not a loving thing to do. Uh, a lot of these filthy five kind of have to do with what we say. Not all of them, but a lot of them have to do with, with what we say. And we need to make sure that we are saying the right thing. Not pretending, but saying the right thing. So you might be thinking after we go through these, these five, well, are we not supposed to recognize uh, sin in people? Are we just supposed to pretend that everybody is good all the time? Uh, if, if somebody is doing wrong, uh, am I supposed to just think it's okay? Uh, do I look the other way? Are you saying there shouldn't be um, a judgment made? No, there, there's a place for evaluation. Uh, in James 4.11, I'll get to that one in a second. James 4.11, he's very clear that there needs to be evaluation. He says, do not speak evil against one another, brothers, the one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. Here's what, this is what uh, James is saying, uh, and this was written by Warren Wearsby. 
He wrote, James was not forbidding us to use discrimination or even to evaluate people. Christians need to have discernment. There's plenty of places in scripture that show that. But they must not act like God in passing judgment. We must first examine our own lives and then try to help others. We never know all of the facts in a case, and we certainly never know the motives that are at work in men's hearts. To speak evil of a brother and to judge a brother on the basis of partial evidence and probably unkind motives is to sin against him and against God. We are not called to be judges. God is the only judge. He is patient and understanding. His judgments are just and holy. We can leave the matter with him. So what it's saying, we can evaluate and need to evaluate. That's how we can love one another is to help someone in their, in their walk with Christ and to help someone grow in their faith and understanding. And that takes evaluation. That takes making, making a judgment call. What it says don't judge is don't take the place of God. God is the one who will handle that. We can leave it to him. Uh, and when he instructs us on how to handle certain things, well, then we follow and obey those instructions and in how we do it. Uh, but recognize that, uh, that when, the, when the time comes, I'm not going to be on the Bema seat uh, rewarding believers. That's Jesus Christ. I'm not going to be the one on the great white throne judgment looking into the, the book of life and, and not finding people's names and then condemning them uh, according to their works uh, uh, because they, they wouldn't trust Christ. That's not my job. That is the Father who will, that is, Christ will do that. He's the one who will, who will look into the books. Uh, so we make evaluations without judging. Uh, the reason this matters is because if our difficulty with another is not a matter of sin but a clash of personalities, we need to get over it and show grace. We need to get over it and show grace. Maybe you're wondering, what if they are not showing grace to me? If a brother or sister have sinned against you, there is a way to deal with it. God's word spells it out. If not... You, me, keep showing grace. As much as a person offends your sensibilities, we have offended God's so much more. What does God do? He keeps showing grace. He keeps desiring us to grow in faith and in righteousness. Remember that a fellow believer that is hard for you to love was loved by God so much that God sent the Son to be tortured and murdered for your fellow believer's benefit. If God loved them so much, what should we do? Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Peter instructs us to put away the filthy five, and instead long for pure, the purity of the pure word of God. We won't have a taste for God's word if we are pursuing thoughts and actions of hatred toward fellow believers. There are a lot of foods that we desire that are harmful. Parents instruct their children to not eat junk food before dinner because a kid won't have an appetite for what is good if they are filled up with what is bad. Why is it important to partake in pure spiritual milk, the purity of God's word? Because infants don't grow when they are physically malnourished. We don't grow when we are spiritually malnourished. So we have to long for what is good. And if we are partaking of the filthy five and filling up with that, we won't desire what is good. To be able to stand against a culture that is against God and his righteousness, 
we need to feed ourselves from his word. We will not desire the righteousness of God's word when we are partaking in actions that are hateful toward fellow believers. If you have experienced the, uh, God's grace in salvation, you will want to continue experiencing God's grace in edification, which means the continuation of spiritual growth, becoming more like God in our thoughts and actions, living holy lives as we consider our salvation. What makes this possible for us to love one another with sincerity and with earnesty? What makes it possible to be able to do that? We cannot do it, right? We cannot do it unless we are abiding in the word of God. Unless we are abiding in it. Not just knowing it, right? Not just reading it, but abiding in it. Peter said, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see. That means if you've experienced God's goodness and if you are saved, you have experienced the goodness of God. Keep desiring, keep growing in that. Put away the filthy five and instead desire the pure word of God, which instructs us how to love one another. I need your love, not because I deserve it, but because I don't deserve it. Just like I need God's love, and he showed it in giving his son, Jesus Christ, to pay for my sins. Let's love one another. Heavenly Father, thank you that you loved me with all of my shortcomings, with all of my sin, with, uh, with not deserving it in, in any way, but that you lavished your love on me. You, you proved it. No greater, uh, no greater action could express love than for one to give their life for another. And Jesus Christ loved me enough that he died a humiliating, horrible death to pay the price of my sin. Father, help us, help me, to see my fellow brothers, sisters in Christ the same way that you see them. That I will love them the way that you loved them. That we will love each other the way that you have loved us. That we will recognize when we are partaking in the filthy five towards a fellow believer in Christ, and that we will quickly agree that that was wrong, that it was sinful, and that we will rejoice in the forgiveness you have given us in those wrong, sinful thoughts and actions, and that we would be so excited to forgive the shortcomings of others, because there's nothing more godlike than forgiving the wrongdoing of others when they don't deserve that forgiveness. That we are expressing who you are when we do that, and that we would, instead of being hurt and upset and looking for revenge when, when it's difficult to love somebody because they have done some, some action, that instead we would look at it and be excited for the, for the hurt because we get to be like you in forgiving and desiring their growth. Uh, Father, help us to examine ourselves first uh, to see that we are being holy in how we love one another and, uh, and that we will give that consideration this week as we look into your word and be reminded of the truth that's in there. In Jesus' name, amen.